What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. This is episode 111, I'm pretty sure. And my guest today is none other than Elliot Ferris. Hi, guys. Glad to be with you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. For sure. No, thank you for taking the time to do this. So last time uh, we did a podcast together, you were fitting me for a pair of shoes. Sure was. So, Brooks Levitate. Brooks Levitate, and I believe one of the other contenders was what you've got on now. Your uh, Sockney Rides. Yeah. I got four pair of these. He's so. a big, big fan of those. I'm a big fan of Sockneys as well. They're fantastic. There's a lot of great shoes out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if I can plug the store real quick. Please do. Um, yeah, I'm the manager over to that. Oh, you know what? I want to. Cheers, everybody. To run on. Um, yeah, I manage Run on Richardson. Uh, we are a running specialty store. If you don't know what that is, um, it's basically a store where we have a lot of shoes, athletic apparel, um, nutrition, training, anything you would need for running, but also, you know, any athletic activity, or if you just need the right pair of shoes, we are trained. All my staff is trained in the, you know how to evaluate a gait, look at somebody's arch, know what types of shoes to put them in if you may be having something like plantar fasciitis. Um, I know Kevin, you send a lot of people to see us. Um, you know, there's a lot more to getting a shoe than just picking out one that looks cool, and that's where we can help you out. You know, it's not really like um, a big box retailer where you walk in and just try to you know, fend for yourself, try a bunch of stuff on, find something comfortable. We can actually evaluate you and then recommend um, a certain type of shoe and then make sure you get the right size and everything else. So come and see us if you need shoes. That's what I do for my day job. But um, yeah, got a, got a good background and some other things as well that we'll get into today. Yes, sir. So yeah, uh, if you're unsure of what a shoe fitting is is like please refer back to the podcast episode i did where elliot fit me for a pair of shoes and you can see exactly what the process is like um but yeah all all my high school runners are going to be coming in pretty soon to get fit next for for some cross-country shoes um maybe some spikes as well so real excited about that um and while we're talking about it let's plug the social run because that's Heck yeah. Every Wednesday night, I'm at Run On uh, 6 p.m., and we have a great time. We do. Yeah, every every Wednesday night, uh, 6 p.m., we meet at Run On Richardson, 1465 West Campbell Road. Um, and we go for a little run around the neighborhood, anywhere from two to five miles. You don't have to be fast to come. There's going to be people of all different abilities out there. Kevin usually heads up the front of the field, uh, but there will be people walking at the back of it, so yep. you you don't have to the worry whole about. You got the whole spectrum there. Uh, we're all just trying to have a good time, enjoy the outdoors, enjoy running and walking, and doing it with some other people in the community. Yeah, it's a really fun group. Sure, is. like we've got a, a pretty consistent crew that shows up, and um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Yeah, so I love having you out there. Yeah, maybe get a few more out for sure. Everybody come out, it's a blast. So, uh, when uh, I don't always get to run with you on Wednesdays, 
right? So to remedy that, a while back, you suggested that we uh, start doing some Sunday long yeah. runs. Sunday long runs. Much to my chagrin, <laughs> because uh, I don't like the long run. My mind is changing. Yeah. Uh, it's getting a little more comfortable, but um, it, it was it was rough at first. But anyway, on one of our uh, long runs, I think we were talking about the idea of this mystical kind of out there in the ether concept that, especially in high school running, is uh, it's a tough concept for people to understand, and that's the idea of. Peaking. 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 Everybody's favorite word when it comes to running. Yes. It's uh, it's often a scapegoat yep. for people who don't finish as well at the uh, end of the year as they'd like to. Mm-hmm. Um, not really knowing anything about aerobic programming and how adaptations work and things like that, I, I used the idea of peaking too early to explain away my uh, the outcomes of my state meet my senior year because I didn't run as well as I wanted to. But um, looking back now, I understand I it wasn't necessarily an issue of peaking. Like Sometimes you just don't run your fastest at the very end. But um, yeah, so let's, let's dig into this concept a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this whole idea. Yeah. Well, let me go back to when I was younger, uh, less informed. But, you know, I, I used to think that you, there got, you know, whenever you were training for something, there would come a point where you would tailor your training from the very beginning to reach kind of like a tipping point where you were at the, the very mountain, the top of the mountain. Yeah. You peak of the pyramid. Improve your performance mm. anymore, mm-hmm. and you wanted to time that point in your training with your last race of most significant race of the season. Mm. And so it was always, you know, in the back of my mind. All right, so how everything I'm doing in training is, is getting myself towards peaking. We train early, different earlier in the year as we got closer to the peak race. Um, training a little bit different, um, start to, you know, think differently, um, all sorts of things. Um, but as I learned more about running and exercise physiology, the more I've come to realize that peaking is, it's just not a thing. Running out of gas mentally is a thing, but peaking physiologically does not exist because your body will continue to get better mm-hmm. as long as you give it stimulant. Um, you know, my I remember the first time I heard that was my college coach down at Texas A&M telling me the story of Natasha Rogers who won the 10K at the 2012 NCAA Championships and then subsequently got uh, second at the Olympic trials, but unfortunately did not have the Olympic A standard, so didn't get to go to the Olympics. And she PR'd, she ran the 10K for the first time at the conference championship meet, PR'd, 
ran it two weeks later at the NCAA regional meet, PR'd, ran it at the NCAA meet, PR'd, mm -hmm. and ran it at the Olympic trials and PR'd again. And if she had continued to race, probably would have PR'd again. Mm -hmm. So tell me, where, where where do you peak there? Yeah. Do you peak at the conference meet? Because I mean, you PR. You, you PR. Okay, yeah. great. But then is that the goal or is the goal the incident of late meet four weeks later? Mm -hmm. um, and if you go and look at the results every single year, you always know who's going to run fastest at the Olympic finals or the world championships, whatever's going on. And that the answer to that is the person that runs the fastest the first meet of the year hmm. because they are that much farther ahead of everybody else and mm -hmm. they're going to keep getting better just like everyone, everyone continues else. everyone to continues to get better. Mm -hmm. Nobody peaks. They they'll they'll run out of, you know, mentally there's only so many times you can push yourself to that limit racing, mm -hmm. but physiologically, you'll keep getting better yeah. as long as you keep training. Sure. Yeah, I think to kind of jump on on the coattail of that idea, I I completely agree. There's basically no evidence to show that there's a physiological ceiling to how much a person can adapt, and like some of that is. Uh, relatively new as far as the idea of of what we understand about human physiology now like a while ago people said that you would die if you broke four minutes in the mile yep. you would physically be unable to continue living if someone were to get close to that four minute barrier and break it yeah so you know sir roger banster comes and says hey sure about that you know so the idea of there being a physiological window or not window ceiling um is kind of a concept that i think still is relatively present with maybe not within like the uh super successful coaching community and and super successful athlete community but for people who maybe have their toe in the sport of running and who you know think they know a little bit about it but um yeah like the uh so we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier but i'm re i'm reading uh right now a couple running books one of them is uh running with the buffaloes and coach wetmore the things that he's doing with these guys like uh adam goucher where they're running this just week after week after week of super high mileage. Um, like there's no thought in their mind that you won't continue to adapt as long as you recover mm -hmm. and you can repair from the damage of training. But like in their mind, it's almost less physical than it is mental. So it's yeah. like, you've got to, you've got to commit in your head to like, yeah, it's going to hurt. But like, you just have to continue pushing through it. And as long as you're able to do that, you'll continue to improve. There's no, there's no point at which you can't continue to improve. So, um, yeah, the better shape you go into the beginning of the season, as long as you can make it through there without, you know, hurting yourself, you're going to be that much better off at the end of the season. So, 
Um, it's so I just had uh, Luke Scribner on, mm-hmm. and um, he the whole episode is him kind of giving a, a basic, super practical outline of like how do you build a high school cross country season or track season? How do you develop a successful training program? And uh, this is where the idea of peaking can kind of be a little mysterious to people because like he does, he sets up his season essentially the way that um, most successful coaches do, which they say, okay, what's the most important race of the year? All right. We're going to work back from that point. In other words, we're not like, you know, for a lot of schools, the first week of August, like, that's the start of cross-country season. And so that's when they start training and they figure things out as they go along. Mm-hmm. Instead of, hey, this is our state meet. We're going to work back, you know, 12 weeks or 16 weeks or 20 weeks. And this is where the season starts for us. And then we're going to program these specific phases. And the last phase, for lack of a better term, it's our peak phase. Yeah. Um, but like I think when people hear that, if it's not explained to them what that means, then this this is where that mystical, oh, I've got a peak, comes in. And what you said at the beginning about how, you know, like there's this point where I can't get any better. Like that idea is what I was told when I was in high school, which kind of looking back now. I put these limitations mm-hmm. on my abilities because I assumed, like, oh, there's no way I can improve X amount in this time frame. Yeah. There's only there's only a certain amount that I can actually get better. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's really limiting for a lot of people, a lot of runners. So, yeah, it really is. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, I think. You know, there's definitely something to be said for the emotional and mental energy mm-hmm. that it takes. And you, you do have to account for that and yeah. plan for, all right, how much work can we give somebody before they just snap mm-hmm. and kind of check out mentally? But it's not a physical thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we look at the, you know, the physiology of what goes on in your body and the adaptations that take place... Um, you're, you'll keep getting better as long as you keep training mm-hmm. and as long as you're not pushing that training load to the breaking point where you know you, you physically break down like a stress fracture or something yeah. else which is what you deal with a lot of so. yeah if you're adequately recovered yeah. which means proper sleep proper training intensity followed yeah. by you know the appropriate removal of a certain level of intensity and like you cannot overlook the nutritional component like definitely that's what drives the adaptation is primarily amino acids and then refilling the gas tank um as long as you're doing that like your improvements are never going to be linear but but the it's it's going to undulate and there are you know quote-unquote plateaus where you know, the body is always trying to figure out 
how much it has to expend calorie-wise or energy-wise in order to elicit a specific result. So it's always going to try to do what it views as the most efficient, you know, thing as possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as long as you're following basic tenets of like adequate sleep, intense training, proper nutrition, like there's no ceiling. You know, I think an important thing you said there was, you know, nutrition, sleep, and proper intensity. Because I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially at a younger age, you've got a lot of, it's very gung-ho, let's hit this thing as hard as we can. I've got to work out. I want to, you know, redline every day. Mm-hmm. And I know for me personally, I didn't truly learn how to pace myself properly in training until really after college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got better at it as I went through. Yeah. Um, but if you, I think, I really think most people would be surprised how good you feel and how long you can continue to improve through a training cycle if you are getting proper sleep, mm-hmm. proper nutrition, mm-hmm. and the intensity you bring to training is appropriate for the given work, you know, workout or, or whatever it is you're doing, where you're at here in your training. Sure. Um, you know, if you're doing all that stuff, you're not going to be just exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you'll feel recovered and ready to go every time you've got a workout and you keep getting better. Mm-hmm. You just do. Um, I, I think that's a concept that I didn't fully realize until really after, after college when I, you know, um, settle down a little bit more, but you know, because in, in high school and my younger years, it was kind of like, all right, we're going through all this training, it's hard, we're just always tired, but we're going to get to the peak phase and then I'm going to just feel better for a couple weeks, yeah, as opposed to feeling good all the, the time tired. and yeah. continuing to get better, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know, what do you so I, what's your experience with that? I think along those lines, uh, it's really interesting to see the contrast between like like how many quality days can you put in a week or if you're not looking at things on a seven day cycle Mm -hmm. on a 10 day cycle or whatever like how many quality sessions can you put in x amount of days um and well what's your answer to that it depends for sure on your training age it depends on uh your your up your consistency with that specific type of training. So Scribner, Luke Scribner, he typically has two hard workout days a week. Mm-hmm. In running with the Buffaloes, they train hard four days a week. That's a lot. That's a That's heck a of a lot. lot. Yeah. That's a ton, right? So granted, there's a huge difference between a high school runner and a elite level college runner, not just a college runner, but an elite level college runner. For sure. There's a big difference, but like four hard days, like that's, that's the hard days. That's not, that doesn't include the medium days and the quote unquote easy days where, I mean, a lot of these guys are talking about like even their easy days didn't ever really feel easy. Yeah. And that's not because they weren't, programmed correctly with regards to the intensity it's probably because they were doing too many hard days but their goal was to ride the edge the razor edge of like 
I'm going to put in as much work as possible and get as close to killing myself. Yeah. yeah, but just barely, barely pull back. And so you can ride that razor edge, you know, if you know your body really well and you're getting enough sleep and you're getting the appropriate nutrition and you're getting the proper recovery, yeah. but, you, but you can't do that for forever. You know, and so well, I think I've heard it. You've probably heard it too that you know, there's no such thing as overtraining. There is under recovering for sure. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think my answer to that would be a little bit something maybe everybody could take is the eighty twenty rule, which you've probably heard of, where eighty percent of your work should be at a relatively easy effort, and then twenty percent fast. You know, high quality. Um, specific work that is intense on your body mm-hmm. um that's you know and i i haven't read running with the buffaloes or seen exactly what they do but you know those guys are running a lot of miles it's possible that, you know even with four hard days a week they were close to that kind of 80 20 um ratio so it, it looks different for everybody but that's a good rule of thumb yeah for anybody out there that may be wondering you know how much is too much because you you you're going to get in much better shape only doing easy runs than if you only do workouts. For sure. And that's that's a really interesting idea that I'm kind of having to relearn. And that's, you know, like, what percent of, let's say, a mile is quote-unquote aerobic? And this is somewhat debated, but it's, it's basically between 80 and 85%. And... So that's that's a, a reason why when you look at a high level 10k runner, they can still throw down a really fast mile. They can, because like the 10k, you're looking at you know 95 percent aerobic, somewhere in that area. Marathon, you're basically like that's basically just aerobic. Yeah. So when you're looking at an event that's 85 percent aerobic versus something that's you know, 95% aerobic, like there's still so much of an overlap there. And that's why you can't take a 400 runner, turn them into an 800 runner. And then the next year, turn them into a miler. Like you, you're probably going to need more time to build up a solid aerobic foundation. And, um, so that comes into play a little bit, which is, it's really hard for me because I like to do a lot of speed work. Like I Everybody love it. Does. Yeah. It's, it's just fun for me. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that even with something like the mile, it's so heavily dependent on your aerobic foundation. Mm-hmm. Like you got to put the miles in, you got to put the time in. You do. Um, with that being said, there's still, you know, this camp over here, like the, the linear coaching philosophy that's like, hey, it's all volume. Like, you've got to do a ton of miles. Which is why these guys at Colorado were doing 20-mile long runs. Which, that blows my mind. My longest run in college was 14 miles. And that's I thought long enough. I thought that was about 7 miles too long. <laughs> yeah. But... That's one of those things where 20 miles, like my, my understanding 
of running was, I'm not training for a marathon. I'm training for 8K or 10K for yeah. cross country. I don't need to run 20 miles. That is overkill. I'm going to, I'm going to be slower because I will run myself into the ground. I won't recover. I'll be trash. Well, maybe let's spend a few minutes telling people why a long run can help them, you know, a 20 mile long run or way for me, it was usually 18 miles, 17, 18 miles every Sunday. Um, maybe why that will help because people are probably wondering, um, and so, you know, the short end, Kevin, you can probably speak a lot more about the specifics of, specifics of this, but essentially um, your body's ability to, you know, run at a higher pace or higher effort um, with a lower heart rate using less energy is dependent on its ability to utilize energy sources um, in aerobic conditions so if you're in the the you know the, everybody's favorite part of the cell the mitochondria mm -hmm. is where that happens and the more miles you the more work we'll use work instead of miles you put in at those very aerobic paces where you are getting plenty of oxygen to your muscles mm -hmm. um those mitochondria get bigger and some research has even shown that those they can run the entire length of your muscle. Or I guess I don't have a muscle going on in here, but you know they can, they can get right. really long. And, yes. And so the more you can do, you know, with those mitochondria before you start tapping into those uh, resources that will run out quickly, like you do in the four hundred and the eight hundred. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it elevates everything. You know, just because you you can run faster at a lower heart rate for you know what would be at like maybe a marathon, half marathon pace, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that doesn't improve your other paces. It raises everything. So sure. you yeah you can probably explain that a lot better than I can. Yeah, like you've got a bigger battery. Mm -hmm. You've got a bigger work capacity battery. The more time you can accumulate doing lower intensity aerobics. And when you build that engine, you then have more capacity for either high intensity speed work or more volume of speed work. So that as you get closer to your championship, quote unquote, peak time frame, you can like fine tune your racing car, yeah. right? So like you've got a race car, you can make the, you can make the car more streamlined. You can make the car more aerodynamic. You can increase the size of the engine. You can increase the size of the gas tank. Increasing the gas tank is basically what we're talking about here. Yeah. Increasing the size of the engine or the quality of the engine that's like more of the anaerobic mm -hmm. neuromuscular training that comes when you're doing speed work. But if you've got a bigger engine, then you've got more potential for high quality speed work. So when we're, when we're looking at the whole training program, 
let's say for high school, we're looking at 12 to 20 weeks. For college, you know, we're looking at probably a bigger time frame, a little bit bigger window. Um, when you can build all of those things to a greater extent than come race day, you've got the best shot of hitting that PR or continuing to hit PRs as you go. So my biggest uh, error, let's say, in high school and college was not enough emphasis on building that gas tank. But, like, I had a pretty sweet engine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's um, a lot of people. You know, I I remember when I was a freshman in college running my first mile, I was nowhere near my PR, and my first thought was I haven't done enough speed work Mm. because running fast at the end of the race didn't feel natural to me. Mm -hmm. You know, but the truth was, if I wanted to go out on the track any given day and run a 200, I could probably run you know, a 26, maybe a 25 mm-hmm. second 200, which is faster than world record pace for the mile. Sure. Uh, but I sure as hell couldn't run that pace for a mile. Yeah. So clearly speed wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if I could just throw down a 25 at the end of the race, I'd win a lot, mm-hmm. but I couldn't. And so it wasn't speed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't power. It was the ability to run fast without getting tired and then throw that down. And I think that's uh, something a lot of people don't realize that most people are plenty fast. You got, you've got the top end speed and power. Mm-hmm. It's the endurance that you lack. Yeah. Um, and you know, you brought up a, an interesting uh, thing there about the difference, you know, you mentioned they have a race car, bigger gas tank, bigger engine. Um, and this is a, Along the same lines, but I think um, when I was still in the frame of mind that you peak, my thoughts were you have to, your training is completely different in each phase. Mm. You go from like nothing but easy running, aerobic running, then you get some longer, harder, uh, bigger efforts, and then nothing but speed work at the end. But as I've learned more and experimented more one of the the things i and one of the things we know about training is that it takes a little while for adaptations to take place in your body mm-hmm. um so for example if you uh, you know if you're looking at the high school calendar not a huge time frame so you know maybe dedicate like five weeks to your base phase five to the middle and then you know four or five to the the peak peak phase. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wait till five weeks before your race to start doing speed work, how much is that really going to help you? Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that I try to incorporate whenever I'm training myself or coaching an athlete is to never do something for the first time close to a race. Sure. So if we're training. And we know that we're going to need to do some speed work to get those, to get some power, a good turnover at the end of the race. Mm-hmm. We're doing that way before the race, mm-hmm. way before the you know the last couple weeks, couple weeks. leading up to training. Sure, uh, we're working on that adaptation. You can work on building a bigger engine 
as well as a bigger gas tank at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the farther back you start doing that, the bigger it's going to be come race day. Sure. No, I totally agree with that. In fact, one of the other books that I'm reading right now is uh, Consistency is the Key by Jay Johnson, who yep. was uh, one of the guys in Running with the Buffalo. Yep. So that was his senior year. He was he studied, you know, like ex-phys um, in undergrad, and then uh, he was actually in grad school his last year on the team, and he was getting his master's in applied physiology. And so um, he's gone on to do, he's coached, I think, three USATF uh, champs in, in distance events. Um, and he's had an excellent coaching career. And in this book, Coach Co uh, Consistency is the Key, is specifically dealing with, like, as a high school athlete, here's what you need to know about running, about programming, about training in general. It's a phenomenal book for any high school runner. Um, as a you know former college runner, I still think it's excellent. Um, it's tailored specifically to the high school athlete. But one of the things that he talks about is um, if you wait until late in the season to, to build your engine, like to rev the engine is what he calls it. And like, it's, it's too late. So one of the key concepts in the book is rev the engine like consistently throughout the yeah. week. And that doesn't mean speed work your first week of training, but that does mean doing strides yeah. two to three times a week where fast strides over here. Exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, maybe, the last, if you're doing like a 45 minute long run or a 60 minute long run, the last 10 to 15 minutes, you work in 20 second builds where you're going race pace or faster mm -hmm. so that you don't get to, and if you're doing that every week for 20 weeks, in addition to all the speed work that you'll do later, but if you're starting that like week one, then your body is not shocked when it comes time to do fast stuff. Nope. Um, and so you're you're revving that engine on a consistent basis and the engine is extremely efficient and it knows exactly what yeah. to do. You know how to change speed. You know how to deal with a surge. You know how to respond to when somebody is passing you and you're like, nope, like the race matters today. My, the place that I finish matters today. This person can't beat me. I need to speed up right now. Mm -hmm. If you haven't done any speed work, like, Sorry, you can't shift gears fast enough. Like, so that's super important. I think that uh, that's one of those things. And um, part of quote unquote peaking or running your fastest when you need to is like you said, you can't wait until the end to do that. You've got to be doing that earlier on in the season. And um, I think another thing that Luke does really well as he explains like, Hey, if you're not training it consistently, then you're going to lose it. So if you're not training it or, or using it, then you lose it. So if you, if your training looks so distinctly different through those phases where it's like at the very beginning, it's only super slow mileage. And then you go into some longer tempo ish stuff and then you do speed. Like when you get to the speed, you've lost that aerobic base. Yeah. Like, you've got to maintain that throughout the season. 
Um, so I think that's another one of those things. Like if you do want to run your best consistently through the season and, you know, PR after PR after PR, or at least run close to that, run consistently around that, that range, um, you've got to maintain your aerobic base. You've got to maintain some sort of threshold tempo near race pace effort. And then you've got to be able to change speeds. You've got to be able to kick. It doesn't matter how long a race is. The last hundred is always going to be a race. You're a sprinter no matter what. Exactly. Once you get to 100 meters to go. Exactly. So if you're not training that, yeah. you're going to get beat. Yeah. And, you know, the most specific strength work a distance runner can do is sprinting. Mm. It's just the way it is. I like that. It, um, no matter, you know, you can go to the gym, which you should. Um, and do all that stuff, but the most specific to running strength work you can do is sprinting. Um, every distance runner out there should be doing it. It's not much, you know, maybe once a week, some strides, some, you know, strides followed Faster by than race accelerations. And we're talking yes. like 30, 40 meters at most, because you really can't sprint longer than that. Yeah, it's, not makes a huge difference. Yeah, if you're a distance runner, you're you're not able to maintain top end speed. Not for very long. Too long. <laughs> yeah, you're not a hundred, two hundred kind of No, but so. you know, hey, one thing that I think if I was watching this, I would be wondering about. So what about the concept of tapering? Mm. Because um, kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about with peaking, and when it comes to tapering, there. It, it definitely makes a difference, but I don't think most people know how to do it right. Sure. So what do you think? What, what's your opinion on tapering? So it's it's interesting because I, I didn't really understand, like there was no, let's say, set recipe for peaking tapering is often used interchangeably. Yeah. And the idea of like tapering is a gradual step down in some training variable mm -hmm. in order to elicit some sort of super compensation or adaptation. So, um, but there was never an explanation of here's how you taper and here's, this is like a standard that most people will have success with. Um, until I learned the concept of a deload week in strength and conditioning, specifically with powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Like when an athlete, um, let's say, is prepping for a powerlifting meet, typically a week or two out, they've been progressively going up as much as possible in their lifting volume, getting the majority of their lifting between let's say 85 and 95% of their one rep max, but they're not necessarily doing a ton of lifting near their, near their one rep max. Mm -hmm. As you get closer to competition, you've got to stress the muscles and the, and the ligaments and the tendons and the joints in that way. So you get a little bit more volume near your one rep max, but the majority of your training is not going to be that high of an intensity. And then maybe a week or two out, you maintain that intensity, but you cut back your volume, maybe as much as like 50%. Mm -hmm. So 
that's a huge change when you go into the weight room. If you're used to doing, you know, a five three one or five by five, or there's a million different powerlifting systems that yeah. that people follow. But if you go, if you're used to doing essentially twenty five reps at, you know, four hundred pounds, and then all of a sudden you're doing. 12 to 15 reps at that same weight, you're going to feel amazing. Yeah. You're going to feel fantastic. So, so that was my initial, I'll say legitimate exposure to like, what, what does a true taper look like or a D load look like? Um, and so my idea of, of how that translates to running is like, you can't cut your volume in half. (laughs) No. Because I think that's you're then losing that aerobic well, stimulus. Think, yeah, I mean, you have to basically you're either. So I think an important point to make here is that um, your body responds to training. Um, and with certain recovery mechanisms. And when it comes to distance running, when your body is recovering from, you know, an aerobic type of run, and, you know, your mitochondria are doing different things, your cells are adapting, a byproduct of that is an ability to run a little faster, a little further the next time. Mm -hmm. If not, then your muscles would have to have some sort of a brain to predict what you're going to do next. It is actually a byproduct of your training that you are able to then train a little bit harder, you know, higher intensity, longer effort the next time. Mm -hmm. And so if you stop introducing that stimulus from training, then you're not going to get the your body's not going to be recovering from it, and then therefore the byproduct, which equals better training, will not be there. Yeah, at that point you're either maintaining or you're decreasing your fitness. Yes, Mm -hmm. and and it happens very quickly Mm -hmm. when we're talking about um, aerobic strength. Yeah. Um, Those mitochondria that we talked about, you know, can grow the entire length of your muscle. You give them a couple days off, they start shrinking. Bodies try to be efficient. They'll come back quickly, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've, you know, gotten to that level before. Yep. They'll come back quicker. Yep. Uh, but you know, they'll they'll go away. So if you are running, we'll just use an example, sixty miles a week, and then you cut that to thirty mm-hmm. for a week, and you know, specifically if you, if you're you know, you do it across the board, like you take all your runs, cut them in half. Mm-hmm. You're sorry, but you're just not gonna you're not gonna have the same aerobic strength at the end of the week because yep. you're not introducing that same stimulus exactly in there. Um, yeah, if you've got a job that requires sixty people, yeah. and now all of a sudden that same job only needs thirty people, yeah. then the body the body's gonna the do body's that. firing yeah. thirty people. Yeah, get out. It's, we don't need you. You know, one of the the goals for endurance training is to raise your body's homeostasis work level. Mm-hmm. 
you know, little steps at a time, you know, at the rate that your body can improve it. Mm -hmm. And you get it up to here, okay, cool. That means that you're capable of on one day going to, you know, who knows. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we keep it at that level where we can recover and just get a little bit better at a time. Mm -hmm. um, if you drop that to here, your body's going to come down to here and yeah. only do the work there. So, sure. um, you know, there's been plenty of examples of athletes that tapered, um, cut back their volume, and then when they show up at their their peak race of the year, can't do anything. They're not the same athlete. Because yep. they changed their training. They're not they're not training anymore. Um, that stimulus you know, is gone. It's gone. So, you know, my preferred method for for tapering mm -hmm. is um, you know, for meets just throughout races, throughout the you know, maybe not be the race I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. All literally two days before the race. I'll maybe knock 10, 15 minutes off my run. And then the day before, knock, you know, make that half of what it would normally be. Gotcha. Um, but we're, we're talking about somewhere I'm still within the range. That's just my body's like, all right, we can fully recover yeah. from what we just did. Yep. And then the next day I'll race. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the last race of the year or of the training cycle, before I'm planning a you know, vacation or something like that. You know, I might, um, a week out, I'll start making my easy days shorter, but keep the same intensity for workouts, long runs, things like that. So we're still getting the response, but allowing the body to start recovering a little bit more and so that on race day, I'm fully recovered. Gotcha. We're not... Now that's different than peaking, where you're getting to a you know a point where your fitness is it's at the top, and after that we're going down higher. Yeah. Going down now the way. reason, because I feel like people are probably wondering at this point, well that sounds like peaking. No, the reason you don't want to do that for every race is you're not going to improve training that way. Mm -hmm. I you know that is a point where okay I'm I'm trying to fully recover to put it in. Maximum effort, get absolutely as much out of my body as I can on one day. Mm -hmm. But the week and a half where you're, you know, allowing your body to fully recover, you're not going to improve. You're not really giving yourself the stimulus to keep to raising you. that homeostasis. Short home. And so if you do that every other week or in college every week, like, you know, most people have to race, you're, you're just going to go downhill quickly. Sure. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are we're going to take a quick break because I have to use the bathroom. Cheers. And we're back. Thank you from those kind words from our sponsors. Love our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Run on, Richardson, sponsor this episode. Of I get it. Athlete Factors podcast. That's right. So. We were just talking about what happens if you try to fully recover before every race. Um, and, you know, my thoughts on that are there were so many races, especially in, uh, in cross country while I was in college, where my coach was very, very upfront. Like, hey, we are training through this race. Like, you should not feel recovered. 
you should feel like decently beat down, you know, going into this. Like, you know, we'd race Saturday mornings. That didn't mean we did a really hard workout Friday, but we may have done a decently hard workout Thursday. Absolutely. Um, and you know, the first half to three quarters of the season, like that wasn't uncommon. Uh, the idea being like, Hey, you've got to, you've got to put in the mileage. You've got to put in the time. You've got to accumulate the volume. And if you're trying to fully recover before every race, then you're leaving a ton of potential adaptations on the table. Like you don't, you will not take advantage of that. So I think in high school, so many athletes actually race into shape. Yeah. You know, like, uh, well, racing should be part of your training for sure. The most specific training you can do is racing. Mm. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very, uh, that's a very important concept. Like, yeah, nothing's going to prepare you to race like racing. Not at all. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I had to deal with uh, with a lot of my high school track athletes uh, this past track season was I, I had to put them in a lot more events than they wanted to do in just about every single track meet, with the exception of the state meet and their, and their homeschool national meet. Mm-hmm. And that's because... We only practice formally twice a week. So I was up front with them from the very beginning. Like, hey, we practice Tuesday. We practice Thursday. I don't know for sure what you're doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday if we don't have a meet. I'm going to place a higher burden on you than you want in these meets because this is – probably going to be one of this is essentially a workout like mm-hmm. I don't care what we end up with score wise I don't I don't necessarily care how you do in all of your events you still got to do it mm-hmm. because if the stimulus isn't there then there's no adaptation no and if all you're doing is recovering then there's no stimulus yeah. to adapt so yeah I think it's really important that you maybe pick some key races where you're like, you know what? I'd like to do really well at this specific race. Like in high school, it's a little different typically because in cross country and track, there's a tournament style process Mm -hmm. where you progress to the next level by achieving a certain position, let's say. In college, it's a little bit more to deal with, like, hey, if you want to qualify for regionals, you have to hit a certain qualifying time. So maybe you adjust things a little bit based off what what meets you're going to. Oh, there's going to be a lot better competition at this meet. I want to be, you know, a little bit better rested and recovered so that I have the best shot of hitting the qualifying time here. But then at other meets, maybe you're doing multiple events or maybe you're not really worried about, you know, quote unquote, racing your best because the goal is not to run your fastest at that point. The goal is to accumulate stimulus. Yeah. So that's kind of how I think about that. Yeah. And I mean, I think an important thing to bring up is that you don't have 
just because you don't back off your training doesn't mean you can't race well. Sure. You know, I think uh, a big thing for me, you know, the first couple of years of college, especially for the first couple cross-country meets every year, was, you know, the thought process that, all right, well, this is just an early meet. You know, we're not expected to run fast here. And so, therefore, I don't have to put forth quite the same effort. Mm. That's not true at all. Like, just because it's early in the year doesn't mean you can't race hard. Sure. And it also doesn't mean you can't put up a good performance. Um, in fact, my senior year, I pr the first meet of the year. Mm. And that was off of very little training. Yeah. Um, you know, we had gone through the summer, done that. Uh, very early in the training cycle, and I pr mm. um, you, you don't have to race. You don't have to be fully rested up or be advanced in your training cycle to race well. Um, but, you know, either way, you're going to get a lot of benefits from that race. And, and if you expect that at the end of the season, you're going to go out and be able to put forth a bigger effort than you do at the beginning of the season, you're just wrong. You, you know, even at the earliest, most insignificant meet, you've got to treat it like a real race yeah. um, and practice that. Um, and, you know, you're going to get more training benefits from that as well. Yeah, it's those mental reps. Yep. You know, like kind of what this kind of alludes back to what you were talking about at mm -hmm. the beginning where you've got a, real, a relatively set amount of mental energy. Yep. If you're not practicing, you know, racing when it sucks, like – that's endurance sports. It's yep. a game of attrition. It's who has the mental fortitude to continue pushing through, maintaining the pace or pushing the pace when it hurts so bad that everybody else wants to just stop or slow down. Yeah. And like, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the thing is, when you begin to realize, like, if you slow down, it still sucks. It's still going to hurt. Yeah. Like, there's not that much of a difference between, like, the pace that you're at, which is really awful, mm -hmm. and then the pace that you could slow down to. Yeah. That's not so slow that people take notice, but slow enough that you're like, okay, now this feels better. Like, it really doesn't. Not really. It still hurts. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's one of those mental hurdles that, like, when you can get over that, that whole idea of like, you know what, it, it sucks and it sucks for everybody. And if my training is programmed appropriately, like this is baked in, I'm going to feel bad. I need to push through it as hard as I can. I can recover tomorrow. I can come back and put in solid training, you know, two days from now, three days from now, wherever the case may be. Um, when you're looking at it like that, like that's where you get those, you build up the mental tolerance mm -hmm. to be able to maintain a solid racing effort the rest of the season. Like you've got to get those mental reps in. Yeah, I I think um, I heard a, a speaker one time say I think it was Al Carius, coach at North Central College, a uh, longtime coach, D three school. They've got a great program. Mm -hmm. um, he was he might have been quoting somebody else when he said this, but. Um, he said that essentially we we've kind of learned almost not quite everything, but almost everything there is to know about physiology. 
Mm-hmm. And when it comes to people in, you know, that are on the front lines doing the research on physiology or top level coaches, a lot of what we're talking about here is not even a debate anymore. Mm. It's just accepted as fact of what the best way to train is. Sure. It just hasn't really reached every level of the sport yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it will someday. Mm-hmm. And it's just, the, you know, it's going to be It just the way takes it time to trickle down. But um, we are just scratching the surface of what we know about the mind. Mm. And your mind is, it, it can be trained the way that your body can. Mm-hmm. We don't know nearly as much about that as we will probably, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Sure. So who knows what, you know, what kind of podcast I'll be doing then. But, you know, I mean, one thing we do know at this point is that if you think you can just not be in it mentally um, early in the season and expect to be in it mentally later on the season, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, that's, that's a muscle you've got to train to, your mm-hmm. mind. And not only are you going to improve it for later in the season, but also for the following season. Sure. That's something, you know, that I really learned in the latter half of my career. And I'm still learning how, um, you know, to be honest, I, when I ran my marathon, um, which was arguably my best performance as an athlete, physically, I was not even close to where I was my senior year of college. Not even, I mean, I was, we're talking about 25, 30 seconds per mile at tempo pace slower in workouts. Um, And yet I PR'd in the 5K and ran what was my former tempo pace for a marathon. Wow. Um, And the majority of that was my mind Hmm. and what I learned from that. So... Um, that's a huge component that I think that that's, you know, as far as looking to the future and what we're going to learn about the sport and how things like tapering and, you know, even the concept of peaking factor into that, I think we're going to learn a lot in the future. So it's, there's, you know, for anybody that thinks that we know everything there is and and it's going to be a, become a more, um, you know, Formula One-esque sport now. There's there's a lot of developments still to be made. It's exciting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the improvements that we make based off what we learn about physiology are going to be minuscule. Minimal. But the changes that we make in understanding motivation, determination, being able to like gut out a performance, yeah, like. Like you said, like we're we're scratching the surface. And that made me think of uh, two two more things from this book, Running with the Buffaloes. Um, one thing that Coach Whitmore says, he tells his athletes this all the time: keep a calm mind. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. and so Absolutely. like I was thinking about that today during my you know during my run, um, and I was just picturing like my mind, like. I'm I'm on a boat in the middle of the ocean in a storm and I'm just getting pushed around and I've got to like think about like a calm flat sea like the transition of shifting from this like I'm getting pushed around the waves are huge 
like I'm getting soaked. It's scary to like, no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm not in the ocean getting tossed around. I'm on a pristine flat lake, no wind. Like I'm just chilling. And when I can picture that, like it makes the run easier. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden what felt difficult is now not as difficult. Yeah. It's like, okay, like nothing changed. My pace didn't change. In fact, my pace in like, I was going faster after that. Um, I was smoother. I was more, you know, relaxed. I wasn't fighting, you know, what was going on. I was, you know, I felt just like it was, it was just happening. So there's that. What was the other thing? Um, I just lost it. I'll probably think of it, but um, I can't recommend this book enough. It's it's fantastic. Running with the Buffalo. I haven't read it. I have to admit. Yeah. Um, so Chris Lear. Good things. Yeah, Chris Lear. It's like this journalist who he thinks it's an amazing idea to follow a high level collegiate program for an entire season, and so he he's like part of the team he's at all the practices he's at all the meets he's at all the meetings and so you get to see from his perspective like this is what it looks like at that level so um it's it's a phenomenal book if you like running it it will give you some really unique perspective of like what is the high end you know training and programming and day-to-day look like and like there's all the team dynamics and there's like legitimate tragedy, like one of the one of the guys on the team passes away, and like that's like like how do they deal with that? And you know, like it's all very like it's it's an emotional book. Um, it's phenomenal though. Like I'm three quarters of the way through, and I started it yesterday morning. Wow, it's, a, it's like a ten hour book, so <laughs> it's really good. Nice. So. Um, what was the other thing, man? Um, oh, well, anyway, all that to say, let's kind of, let's tie this, you know, package it up, throw on a neat little bow. Like, what does a quote-unquote peak or taper look like for most people? Like, what what's a practical way that they can, you know, you use some of this information so yeah. they so they don't feel as like mystical, like oh, I don't know how to do this. I hope yeah. I do it right. Like, what are some concrete steps? Like, here's a way that you can be confident that you're setting yourself up for as much potential for success as possible. And the sport of running is tough because we end up, by nature, we kind of have to put all our eggs in one basket. And even when you do everything right, there's times where you know what. Things just don't align. But yeah, unfortunately, here's how you can set yourself up as much as possible for as your best chance at success. And if you're mentally strong, you're, you're going to be there day of. Well, you know, first and foremost, I think the most, you know, if you're really looking to get the most out of yourself and, um, uh, you know, have a great race performance for whatever that goal of yours is. I can't recommend recommend enough hiring some sort of a coach or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, even myself, I would. You know, I'm not 
a professional runner or triathlete or anything, but um, I'm pretty high level and I still use a coach. Mm -hmm. um, just having somebody else to tell me what to do so I don't have, you know, it's, it's so much easier than actually trying to figure it out for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, you know, that's the one caveat. Um, yeah. But along those know, lines, if I may, uh, that's what I'm having Ambrose do for me when it comes to fixing my issues. Yeah. Like, it's just easier to outsource it to yeah. somebody that I trust. Like, he's three weeks ago or whatever when he did my assessment, like, on Tuesday, I had my best run in three weeks, and today, this morning, I had another phenomenal run, and it's because I'm not worried about what I'm doing here, strength and conditioning-wise, right now. Like, hey, Ambrose, my Achilles has been giving me a little trouble. What do I do? Hey, Kevin, here's your program. You're doing this yeah. four times a week. But it's made yeah. such a huge difference. It frees up this mental energy to focus on my training that I don't have to focus on programming my strength and conditioning. And I'm also to the point where I'm like, I've been programming my running and I'm like very, very close to the point where I'm like, oh, okay, it's time to just put all of that onto somebody else and hey, you program it, I'll do whatever yeah. you tell me. My trust is in you completely. I'm like so convinced that's so important. Yeah, no matter how much you know, it, it, you know, even if you've got somebody coaching you that doesn't know as much as you, it's it's going to be more effective than you trying to do it to yourself. It, yeah, uh, it's just so hard to properly um, prescribe training to yourself. So yeah. you can't evaluate things yeah. as no, you can't. effectively. It's, it's different from somebody else's perspective that can see it much more clearly. Yep. Um, but you know, if, if that's not, if you're not trying to go to that level, you know, a few takeaways today might be, you know, one, don't do anything the last phase of your training that you haven't been doing all along. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do certain types of workouts or training the week of the race, you should be doing that. The you know. Earlier, maybe not the very first week of training. Sure, you might, you know, if you've been doing nothing, especially, you may want to just get back in the rhythm of training again. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you want to introduce those types of workouts early on. Um, you know, two. When it comes to um, resting, for we'll use the word resting for race as opposed to peaking, because um, that's what it is. You can only do that so many times. Um, you, you don't want to. You don't want to have a negative training effect. You don't want to, um, you know, you, you've got a certain amount of time between where you are now and the race you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. You want to maximize that. Now, yes, you don't want to, you know, do something the race week for the first time. And so, yeah, practicing a little bit of a rest before an intermediate race is a good is a good thing. But you can't be resting before every race. So you know, plan that stuff in there. And then when it comes to actually resting or tapering before a big race, you know, you you want to keep the intensity of your main workouts at the same level, and it's some of the easy runs where you cut back a little bit. But keep in mind, you know, throughout your entire training cycle, you may be, let's say, doing... Um, 
it's just example, say you run 45 minutes on Thursday and then you do a, a workout on Friday, you're still doing that workout Friday. So when it comes to race day, if you do 45 minutes the day before, I mean, you've been doing it all year. Doesn't mean you can't do it again for race day. That's sure. You know, you know that works for you. Yeah. Um, so don't don't go too extreme. Um, yeah. Cutting you know, your volume in half is a quick way yeah. to to initiate some hardcore DJ training. Yeah. You know, you've yeah. got to keep that intensity high. Mm -hmm. You can cut back on some of the filler stuff. Um, just to give you an example of what. I would do, or what I did before my marathon, which, you know, I ran 226 for the marathon. That's, That's pretty, pretty fast. Just, you know, not, pretty darn I'm good. not a pro runner, but for a guy like me, that's, that's pretty fast. Um, so, essentially, about 10 days before the race was when I actually paid attention to cutting back. And so normally what I would do is my easy runs were about 60 to 70 minutes. I cut those to 50 minutes. Um, my long run, I, I did a long run about, it was about 12 days before the race. It was still a full two hours. That's, you know, full volume, no cutting back. A week before the race, I did a 90 minute run. Um, still a long run to tease the body a little bit, mm -hmm. but not the full length of the, the you know, the, the two hours I'd normally do. Um, and then, you know, where I would normally do a 50, or a 70 minute run Monday, I did 50 minutes. Uh, then Tuesday, back to full speed, I did a full workout, um, you know, for the full warm up, like I normally would any given week. Wednesday, cut it back to where I would normally do 70 minutes, cut it back to 50. Um, you know, Thursday, did another medium long run, got back up to that higher range. Then Friday and Saturday, last race of the year, we went hardcore 30 minute run both of those days. Mm -hmm. So, needless to say, I didn't improve during that last week. Sure. But, you know, it's the marathon, the race coming up. I'm not trying to. I don't have anything beyond that mm -hmm. schedule. That's, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I want to be fully recovered mm -hmm. for that race. Yep. And I was. Um, I had a great race. Um, but you were still probably doing what, like, probably eighty-five-ish plus percent of your at least regular and, training volume. And more significantly, two of those runs that week were one hundred percent of what they would normally be. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, but, you know, if you think about it, like, if you cut back, you know, if you're used to running two hours on Sunday, 70 minutes Monday, you know, full workout, which would, you know, be around 15 to 16 miles of running Tuesday, 70 minutes Wednesday, 70 minutes Thursday, 70 minutes Friday, and then you, you know, you cut those 70 minute runs to... 50, 40, something like that, you're going to feel really good. Sure. You're going to feel really good. Yeah. Um, but you've still got that, um, you know, you've put that intensity in those muscles so that the tension is still there, the, you know, the, the reaction, the reaction the ground. Is, is still there. Yep. You know, you're you're just, you got a lot of energy. Mitochondria. You're ready to, ready to exactly. release that. 
short. Um, that's very different than, you know, a week and a half before the race, just reducing overall volume of everything and lowering homeostasis of what your body's doing. Sure. You know, I was essentially lowering the homeostasis for a couple of days, but then go right back up there. Yep. Um, and so my body, you know, my body might think, okay, well, that, that was low and all right, well, we're recovered. But the next day, I hit right back at it. Mm -hmm. um, so never let myself or never let my body think that it was done training and didn't need to keep uh, recovering and then therefore the byproducts that help you run faster. So um, hopefully that gives some people some insight as to, you know, how it it's done. But like I said, it's a lot easier when somebody else tells you what to do sure. and, um, and you do that than trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Um, yeah. You know, even for me, that was not something that I came up with. That was what I was told to do by my coach. Right. So, yeah, once you understand, like, physiologically what's happening and mentally what's happening and, and you understand the concept, like, it's not mystical. Mm -hmm. It's not, like, crazy. In yeah. fact, like, we were, we were going to read Jack Daniels' definition of, of peaking, but he doesn't really have a definition. He's got a definition of, no. of what was it? Tapering. Yes, which was on page 24. Yeah, you know, like we said earlier, this is not a mystery amongst researchers, people that know the human body well, yeah. high-level coaches. Peaking is not a thing amongst no. them, and it's, it's no longer a mystery. Yeah, this it's is an accepted fact. Jack Daniels' definition. During a taper, you back off some on the training stress and achieve fast racing times. That's it. Like that's it. This is not mystical. This is not like out there in the ether. Oh, if you do this and then uh, maybe uh, no, like you cut back a little bit on the volume. You basically maintain your intensity. You make sure you're getting good sleep. You make sure you're getting good nutrition. You you fully adapt. You fully recover. Mm -hmm. Boom. You, you pull the trigger and you you let loose and yeah. you've got the best chance. Have fun. Exactly. You enjoy it. You put in all this work. You might as well have a good time. Yeah. See well, what happens. Yeah. It's there's, you know, a lot of the time in training you might be doing certain things in workouts and wonder, well, how can I ever do this this time in a race? Mm. You know, the truth is, race day is different. When you when you get to that last race of the year and you allow yourself to fully recover, you're a different animal when you show up at the race. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the, it's, and we love it. It's, um, yeah, that's it's, the opportunity to, awesome. to crush people and to say, Hey, like I, you're hurting. I'm hurting. I'm still, it I'm doesn't gonna, matter. I'm going to hurt a little bit more than you. Yeah. And I'm going to put myself through that to make sure I finish in front of you. And like, that's, that's a fun thing. Not that's like in the is. moment. It's awful in the moment. <laughs> But when it's over, you know. Oh yeah, it's awesome stuff. So it is. Well, this was a fun convo, it man. It was. Thank you for taking the time to join me and and do this. And um, yeah, big shout out to Run On Richardson. I'm super. Yeah, I'm super happy that y'all are only a mile away from uh, from where I live, and I get to run with y'all every Wednesday and. 
run with you most Sundays. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's helped out my fitness a, a ton. Just keeping me motivated and still, like, especially the Wednesdays, it keeps it fun. It keeps yeah. it enjoyable and uh, keeps me consistent. And it's been really good this summer for uh, getting me acclimated to some uh, warmer weather, which... You got to do it here in Texas. Yeah. We, uh, we practice Tuesdays and Thursday nights for cross country. So if you're not used to dealing with, with this evening running during the summer... Don't You'll get used to it quick. <laughs> Or you're gonna you're gonna be hurting big time. So, um, yeah, y'all. If you have any specific questions about peaking, etc., programming in general, like please feel free to ask here down in the comments section, or uh, reach out to me on social media, or reach out to Elliot. Yep, for sure. I'm sure he'd be glad to answer some questions. Yep. He does do some coaching. I do. Um, so if you're interested, you can send me a message on Instagram. Um, I'll throw out to, uh, if you want to follow the store's Instagram to get stay up to date on, you know, when we're doing social runs, things like that. Sometimes we'll do special events. Uh, that's going to be at run underscore on underscore Richardson. Um, if you're interested in looking for coach for running, anything like that. Uh, just send me a message on my personal Instagram, which is at Elferos. That's at E-L-F-A-R-R-O-S. Uh, that's my, my nickname. So, yeah, reach out to me. I'd love to that's talk a, to you. And it's a very robust mustache you have. Thank you. <laughs> I like to think I'm wider of the run world. I like that. So, yeah. That's nice. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to chat with you and see how I might be able to help. Awesome. Alright y'all, thanks for watching and listening. Be sure to share this episode with all your friends who think they know everything about peaking and tapering and ho hopefully we'll be able to reach reach some hearts and minds. It might be fun to have a debate with somebody who has a different opinion. Sure, that's always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, a friendly, respectable debate. Awesome. <laughs> Alrighty y'all, stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.